uh, talking about that the word of God revealed to us a little bit about him and about his teachings, his yoke, take that upon you. He wants us to have that rest in him. And we saw that sometimes that can be hard. You got to mix it with faith, don't you? You got to mix that all with faith. And you can't eat, eat biscuits with just flour and soda and stuff, can you? You got to mix it. You got to add that stuff together. And then you got to, in faith, let it bake. And so, uh, and I thought, let's do some examples of faith. Let's do some of the heroes of the Bible. And let's, let's talk about how they mixed up their faith and trusted in God and how things came out. And I thought, I want to start with Joshua. I, I like Joshua. I want to get into that book a little bit for us because there's so much in it. And I thought, let's start with Joshua this week. And I started with Joshua, you know. And my starting place is never what the Holy Spirit's starting place is. You start to get going on Joshua, and it's like, okay, where's the first mention of Joshua at? And it was Exodus 17. And I get to go into Exodus 17, and I'm thinking, man, Joshua's just going to be a co-star today because the star of the show is Jehovah Nisi. You ever heard of Jehovah Nisi? Huh? You heard of Jehovah Nisi? That means the Lord is my banner. That's what Jehovah Nisi means. And I was reading through Exodus 17, and all of a sudden that came up after the battle, and I thought, okay, Jehovah is supposed to be the star of the show every time. The Lord is who we're occupied with. Everything else is co-stars. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is him. And, you know, we was talking about how that this is about faith, and it's so important for us to have that faith and to mix that faith together with trust in the Lord. And I was thinking about an old song. I don't know if you guys have ever uh, heard it. There's, uh, it was written after not only our scripture, but 1 John 5 that I'm going to share with you in a minute. But you ever heard the song, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world? You ever heard that? You, you guys are going to get a dose of me today, okay? Uh, faith is the victory. Faith is a victory, oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. You, remember, you heard that one? Oh, it was based on, on what we're going to study today and also on 1 John 5. Now listen to these first five verses of that book. 1 John chapter 5 says this, Whoever believes... That Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's when you're born again. And then he says, everyone who loves him that begot you. You are now begotten again of God. You are his child. But everyone who has been begotten again has to do something else. You should love him that begot you. But also to love the children of God who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You not only love God. But you show that you love God by loving everyone else who is now your brothers and sisters in Christ who have also been begotten again of God as well. And when you keep his commandments, whenever you, and that's how you show, because guess what? Whenever they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, what's the, the most important commandment? What's the greatest of those? And he said, you know, the, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, your being and your neighbor as yourself. And if you did that, what? That hinges the whole law. You see, the whole law of God is centered around loving him 
and loving others, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Every one of those commandments is about loving God and loving his people. And so it says, whoever is born of God, though, I want you to take this with you today as a part of your faith package. Whoever loves God and his commandments and his kids, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this faith is the victory, 1 John 5, 4, that overcomes the world. Yes, even our faith. So faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And that old battle hymn rings true today as it ever has. Faith is the victory for you and I that overcomes this world and this battle, what we're going through every single step of the way. And if you would turn to Exodus chapter 17, we're going to take a look at Joshua and Jehovah Nisi, and we're going to go back to there. And while you do, I'm going to tell you those verses while you're turning there of that song of the uh, faith is the victory. The verses go like this because it, it tells about what we're going to read about here in a minute. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise. Are you ready to rise? You're soldiers of Christ. Uh, and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. You know why? They had to win the battle before dark. They, they wanted to win the battle against Amalek before dark. So you press the battle. You don't be afraid of him and run. You press the battle ere the night would come. And veil God's glowing skies. And then it says, against our foe in the veils below. You're going to see that Moses was up here and we were down in the valley fighting against the Amalek. Against our foe in the veils below, let all your strength be hurled. Because faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Oh man, we got to have faith. Let's get after. You want to see some faith in action? Let's look at Joshua, the warrior of God, the warrior spirit that we're supposed to have, and Jehovah Nisi, who was the one who worked through him. So we get over there, and we're getting ready to talk about it. And if you're there in Exodus 17, let's pray. Get our minds prepared for the word of God. Father, we just thank you for the wonderful blessings of life. You said, you know, we looked out and we're seeing the snow falling and we're wondering what it's going to do and what it's going to be. And you said, you know what? There are wonders in the snow. And I get to studying on that and I look around and it says that the snow brings so many nutrients. It's filled with the nitrogen and it's filled with the different things that fertilize the land. So whenever you give your breath, you give frost. And then you bring the snow with your treasures so that the world would be fertile and, and would bring forth fruit for us to be nourished and to grow and to serve you. And Father, the greatest one is whenever you brought something down that looked like frost, looked like a little bit of snow, and that was your manna from heaven. And you fed those folks for 40 years with the most nutritious food that there was for their bodies because you wanted their spirits to be aligned with you so father as we're here today we're thankful for your manna from heaven this book that you give us called the bible that is filled with your word 
And so, Father, today as we get ready to open these pages up and we're going to study this old, old story, you said to write it down, put it in your ear, sink it in your heart so that you will have the faith, you will be able to rest in the land, you will be taken care of, and you got to trust in me, your banner, Jehovah Nisi. And so, Father, I pray that you open up our hearts and our minds to accept your word, to be filled with your truth. And then, Father, the whole part is to worship and glorify you as our God, who is the giver of all of our good and perfect gifts. So, Father, we praise you for the manna we're receiving now. We praise you for the Lord Jesus that you gave as our banner on the cross. And we thank you, Father, for all of these in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you're there, Exodus 17. The Lord, we've been here before. Exodus 17, it was in 14 whenever they was crossing over and the waters of the Red Sea came, crashed down because they had been pushed back into a trap. But the Lord brought them out. Chapter 15, man, they're all shouting a song and they're singing and they're dancing and they're playing and Miriam. The sister of Moses is leading them with her tambourine and they're all singing for joy. And you know what? You don't get one chapter later until chapter 16 when they're doing nothing but murmuring, complaining again. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Nothing is ever right. They were ready to stone Moses. They're cursing God. It doesn't take long after any kind of victory that we fall into these things, is it? There's a reason why. There's a reason why I've always told you that we're going to see it in action today because the enemy is ruthless and he's always after you and he's always coming to get you and especially whenever you think you found a place of rest and that's where chapter 17 then starts. You get to the next one. God brings them in to refeed them. If you look up there, it says they, they left the wilderness of sin. They, they've out of Egypt, they're out of the wilderness. God's wrought the victories and he's brought them in Rephidim. And you remember what Rephidim is? We had it, oh, months ago. But Rephidim is the word means for Rephidim means the place of rest. Isn't that what we talked about last week when it says that I brought you to a place of rest, but you, you didn't mix it with faith. Here they are not mixing it with faith. They're going to be complaining again. You know why? There's no water. True, that's a big problem when you're in the desert. But if you're in the place of rest, you've got to trust that God's baking that biscuit for you. You've got to mix it up and put it in there, and God's going to mix it for you. So, but they didn't, and they're murmuring again, and they're going through all of this. And about the time that, that Moses takes that rod, and he strikes that rock, and the water comes out, this is the first time so he could do that. Boy, they had the water, and they thought, we're in the place of rest, and now we got the water, and we got everything going on. And I want you to know what happens next. Next thing you find out in verse 8. You know, here they are in verse 7. They was wondering if the Lord's going to show up even. And the Lord shows up big time for them. In verse 8, every time the Lord shows up and gives you a victory, something happens. It says, then Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. I've told you every time you get a victory, the enemy is there. You got the victory water from the rock that everything is going right now. And immediately the next verse, Amalek shows up. I want you to know that Amalek is always going to be your enemy. Amalek is always going to show up 
and try to take you down. He's going to be there every single time. And we're going to see that because this chapter ends by saying that the Lord's going to wage war on Amalek and that from generation to generation there's going to be a war. But God is going to be there fighting for you just like he does in this. And that's the whole meaning of this story that we're going to have. Amalek came in Rephidim, the place of rest. Just when you thought you could sit down and stop for a minute, here he comes. He shows up. And the Lord wants to provide us rest, but we're always going to have the battle. So you know where the rest comes in? Right here. When you trust, it's a battle of your mind. You can still have those things and those issues going on in your life. But the battle was right here. And if I am content right here, it doesn't matter what's going on out there. And that's what he wants us to know. So Amalek came to Rephidim to fight against us, against you and I. Every time you're reading this about the children of Israel, put us in there. Because that's what it's really reflecting upon. And so now it says Moses in verse 9. We get the first mention of this warrior spirit that we're supposed to have of Joshua. And it says, Moses said to Joshua, I mean, we don't even get prefaced of anything about him. Only thing is, is Moses goes to him when the battle starts, and he goes to Joshua and said, it's time to go to battle. <laughs> I want you to choose out some men from among you, and tomorrow you're going to go down there and fight against Amalek. But you get, re get ready. There's a warrior spirit. Man, he's been training up Joshua, and Joshua showed himself to be ready for it. So he says, tomorrow you go out there and I'm going to go up on a hill. He says, I will be standing up on the hill when you go out to battle tomorrow. And I'll be on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Man, you, everybody told me this morning, you brought your serpent with you. Well, that was last week. This week it's a different rod. This is my mushroom hunting rod. <clears throat> I was showing a couple of folks, you see all that? That is from whenever you find a mushroom. Here's what I do. I walk around the woods with this, and when I find a mushroom, I plant that thing right there. And I pick my mushroom, and you know why I plant it? Because they usually grow around it, so I want to know where I find it. I'm going to get my, my bounds lost a little bit if I just go wandering so I'm going to plant that thing so I know where it is and I start making a circle and a little bit bigger circle and I keep that thing in my eye as I go around so I can know where it is and when I'm done I go grab it and I start walking again until I get another one and then I'll plant it and do the same thing that's my marker but I got this rod Moses said tomorrow you're going to fight against the enemy I'm not going to be down there with you in the veil below against the foe. I'm going to be up on top of the hill with my stick of wood. And I got to thinking. Who else do we know of went to the top of the hill with his piece of wood? Our Lord when he was crucified, wasn't it? Our Lord had to take his piece of wood and go up onto the top of the hill. And you know what the Lord said? It says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we're supposed to look unto him who is the author and the finisher of our faith. That for the joy that was set before him, he went up to the cross and bore it so that you and I would have a victory 
through faith in him that overcomes the world. And I got to thinking about when Moses goes up there and stands on the top of that hill and it says that he's going to raise that up. What's that look like? If you just happen to look up and all you can see is the figure, what do you see? I see the cross. And I think he held it like this. And you know why I think he held it like this? We're going to find out here in a second. I got to see where I'm at. We're getting ahead of ourselves. He says, oh, I want you to go up there and as long as you're fighting and you look at me and my arms are up in the air with that stick, you're going to prevail. And so I'm thinking about standing. Like in Ephesians 6, remember our battle that we talk about and it says stand. And I want you to put on the armor and I want you to take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. But you got to stand and above all else stand. And so he's trying to stand up there. Joshua is standing and fighting against the foe down there. But then look at verse 12 what happens. They've been, they're going to fight from morning to night. How long can you stand with your arms held high the entire time? It says that his arms began to get heavy and to, to come down. And when his arms would come down and whenever the rod of God started to come down and his arms could no longer support it, it says that the enemy began to win. Whenever you don't keep the cross in sight, whenever you don't, able to look and to see the Lord and the cross in your battle the devil starts to win Amalek starts to prevail it says but whenever the cross is extended and you're looking upon the cross it says that Joshua and the children of God would, would prevail in the fight and so then they're getting there and he's getting tired Moses has been standing there, but you know what? Two people went up there on the hill with him. Didn't the Lord have two people that went up there? They're not Aaron and Hur, but there was two that went with him as well. But Aaron and Hur are going to be helpers. And so whenever them arms start to come down, Ray and Ken, come up here. You're going to stand on each side of me. The word of God says that whenever his arms started to come down, that they came and they got a rock. And they put the stone, the rock, behind him so that he could sit and rest against it and his legs wouldn't give out. Who's our rock? Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? He's our rock. So you're sitting on the rock. We stand on the rock. And upon this rock, the gates of hell can't prevail. And so now he's got something for his legs, but his arms are still getting heavy. So you know what it says? It says that each one of them, his, his two brothers in Christ, Aaron and Hur, held his arms up. They held the arms up and they helped a brother out so that the, they could see down in the battle that the cross was prevailing, that the rod of God was there. And they helped him out. Sometimes, thank you guys, sometimes in our battle, whenever we're sitting there in the heat of it and the thick of it and things are going wrong, don't you need some help sometimes? Don't sometimes you just need somebody to pick up a phone or somebody to call over, or somebody to raise your hands up and help you out. I'm thinking of scriptures in Galatians, and I'm thinking of another one in, in there in Psalm 55 and verse 22. Listen to what the Lord is one of our helpers. He, he's going to be the big help even in this battle. He's the star, Jehovah Nissi. 
So in Psalm 55 and verse 2, it says, whenever we're getting heavy, bearing our burden that we're trying to, it says, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain thee. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Amen. Is that not a promise you can circle now and hold on to as you're going on and you're bearing these burdens? I can cast my burden upon the Lord. He cares about me and he shall not allow me to be moved in this. We will prevail. He will be the one holding me up. But then I think about Galatians chapter 6. I want you to listen to verse 1 and 2 says brethren that's that's us that's us brothers and sisters brethren if anyone be overtaken in a fault ye which are spiritual so now you've got all of you are trying to be spiritual but sometimes we're overtaken with this enemy that comes at us so those who right now aren't being as affected as you are you go and restore such a one you start lifting them arms up you start helping that brother out you go and restore the one who has been overtaken in a spirit of meekness considering yourself also because by only the grace of God it's not you at this time so you go in a spirit of meekness and you help that one and then it says this in verse 2 Galatians 6 verse 2 bear ye then one another's burdens, hold them arms up, and when you do, you so fulfill the law of Christ. Is that not special? Whenever someone is overtaken, you who are not overtaken at the moment, you rush to that aid and hold them arms up, and when you do that, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. Didn't he say that all of that wraps around God and man, loving him and loving your brother? You're fulfilling the entire law by doing that. And it says in verse 9 and 10 of that same chapter 6, Let you not grow weary in well-doing. Keep bearing one another up. Don't get tired of it. Uh, sometimes we could think, man, how many times am I going to have to help? You keep helping. You don't grow weary. You keep on going. Why? It says because in a due season you're going to reap a reward, so faint not. And so therefore, as you have an opportunity, do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. So we're to continually be trying to help those of the household of faith, bearing one another's burdens, just like what happened here with Moses as his arms were getting heavy and his brothers helped hold it up. Now back to our, our text in, uh, in Exodus 17, you look at verse 13. So we got the battle going on in the veil. Moses is on the hill with the rod. They're helping him hold it up. He's sitting on the rock. And then it says this. It says, Joshua thus defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. I started to bring my sword too. But you know what? This was a spe very special battle. There's a story behind my sword too. It's a special win by the hand of God right here in this battle that was going on for God and his people against a fierce enemy. I want you to know, they've been 400 years in Egypt as slaves. They had no way of being trained in battle. They didn't have the equipment for battle. 
And here's these fierce tribes that they're getting ready to go face that, that have been fierce for the entire time. They're always battling back and forth. I mean, these are the children of Ishmael. These are the children of Esau. And, and these are people who are ruthless and they've been fighting all of this time and they're used to it and they have the weapons of war and they know battle strategy. And here's God's people that have been nowhere and they're going, they just come out and crossed over and boom, the first thing you know, one of these fierce tribes is coming right at them. That's us. They're, it's always going to be coming right at you. They didn't have no training. They didn't, so that's why God takes over and the Lord gets them prepared. And so it says, we won the war. Amalek declared a holy war that day and God said, I accept the challenge for my people and I am going to be there and I am going to help you and I'm going to uphold you. And he declares war back in return against them. And look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, I want you to write what just happened in a memorial in the book. <laughs> I want you to know that this book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy was being written by the Holy Spirit to Moses as they went along. And whenever he would be guided by that Holy Spirit, all of the old prophets were guided by that Spirit and told what to write. So this was a big one. And he says, I want you to write. Write this in the book that I've told you to start writing. That's what we're reading now in Exodus 17. Write it in the book, and then I want you to take it and I want you to go over and I want you to speak it into Joshua's ear. You know why? Because you and I represent Joshua. The spirit of the warrior in battle against Amalek, our enemy of darkness. These words need to be spoken to our ears because we're going to face him every day. What's he going to say? I am your helper. I want you to remember this. When we build a memorial... Why do you build the memorial? To remember it, but it also brings back what does, if you go see our big memorials everywhere, what do they do? They, they bring a culture. They bring a appreciation. It brings patriotism. It brings a shout. Whenever you sing that star-spangled banner and, and the rocket's red glare, you should be thinking about your history and we've come this far and we're going to keep going by the grace of God, right? So whenever you set up a memorial, when God says set up a memorial and write it in the book and put it in his ear, that means God wants you to remember this so that every time you have this problem, this enemy, you've got something to remember to give you hope to give you patriotism in the Lord God and the trust and faith that he's going to deliver in the battle because he did it then. He'll do it now for you. And it says, write this memorial in my book. And then I want you to go over to my servant, your general that you chose over there for the people, Joshua. And I want you to go and recount all of this in his ear and tell him this. He said, I want you guys to know something. And here's what God wants us to know, just like Joshua. He said, I, the Lord God, will utterly one day blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You see that? 
we're going to battle him. He's going to be, God's going to be on our side in the battle. But he says, I want you to whisper this in his ear and tell him that one day he's going to end up in the lake of fire. And I'm going, I'm, I'm going to take him down. And his name is not going to be remembered under heaven no more. I'm going to take it, but until then I'm going to be with you. And he's, this is God declaring war. And then he says this, it says in verse 15, So Moses built an altar to worship God for the victory, and he left it as a memorial to this victory over evil for the people to celebrate the great deliverance of the Lord. And Moses, it says, called the name of the altar, what's your Bible say? Jehovah Nisi in the King James. The New King James and some of the other ones says, The Lord is my banner. And that's what Jehovah Nisi means. Jehovah is the Lord and Nisi is banner. You know what a banner is? It's, an, it's, a, it's like our flag. It's, it's the banner. It's the emblem. It's the ensign of who and what you stand for. And he says, Jehovah is our God, our deliverer against the enemy. And that is our banner. We will trust in him. He is the banner over us. The Lord, our banner, is what that altar, and it was there to represent. You can tell your kids and your grandkids, and you tell them, the Lord is our banner. Here's the time he won the victory. When you go into battle, know that you serve the same God, and he's going to bring the victory to you. Jehovah Nisi. It's an intimate word. This is how God wants to reveal himself to us. He says, remember last week it said, I, they knew me as El Shaddai, as God Almighty, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this time, Moses, I'm giving you a new name of me, a name that they didn't know me by. I am just Jehovah. And so now we see that not only as God says, I'm giving you my intimate name, my personal name. Now he says, I am intimately and personally involved in your battles. And that makes me Jehovah Nisi to you this is an intimate thing that the lord is presenting to him so verse 16 it was called jehovah nisi and then moses said why why did he name it that well he was told to but it says in the because the lord hath sworn that the lord will have war with amalek for how long there you go from generation to generation, we're going to have war with Amalek, folks. Just prepare. That is us. And why is this written? Why did we write it in the book? Why are we telling our warriors out here, our Joshua's, about it? Because you need to know it's going to be generation to generation. And you need to know I'm Jehovah Nisi. I am your God, and I am your deliverer. I am your banner. I am the banner over you. And over your enemy. And he says, because the Lord has sworn. Now look at how, how strong this is. The Lord swore that the Lord is going to do the battle for you and be at war. The Lord just, God just declared war on our enemies for us. He declared war. Do you not think something bigger is going on here than just Joshua and Moses and about seven different verses and and he lifted a rod up and it's over and done with no it's something bigger it's something deeper and it goes to you and I it was written for our learning and for us to be able to know about 
generation to generation, this is going to happen. Put me on display for your folks. Who is this Amalek? He must be something special if this is going to be someone that we're battling generation to generation. So I said, who is Amalek? What is he? You know who he is? Well, first of all, he is the grandson of Esau. And pretty soon we're going to be up to Esau on Wednesday nights. And whenever we get to that point, we'll probably do a, a Sunday morning special <laughs> around Esau selling his birthright. You remember that? How he sold his birthright for what? Yeah, a little bowl of soup, a little a bowl of stew, a, a bowl of pottage. It says, you, you know why we're at battle with Amalek? Because it stems all the way back to Esau. I want you to listen to this. He, he despised his birthright. He despised the things of God. He despised his role as being the patriarch of the family. It meant nothing to him. Not over being the role model of the family. Nor being the spiritual leader of the family. None of that mattered to him. He was all about Esau. And what Esau wanted and didn't care about Isaac and his wife. He didn't care about his brother. He didn't care about being the, the head. He just wanted what supported Esau. And it, all those things meant nothing to him. His heritage, his lineage, his legacy. Nothing. Spiritual leadership. I want you to look at what it says about him. Romans chapter 9 verse 13. Here's New Testament commentary on this Esau dude. As it is written, the Lord says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Whew. You heard that right, didn't you? Did you ever think God spoke like that? Jacob I love and Esau I hated. You know, we've got to be careful when we talk about this thing like, oh, God loves the sinner but not the sin. You better take another strong look about someone who is so embedded and their heart is so like this. God says, Esau I hated. Jacob I loved. And he said, as it is written. You know why? Last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. It was up there, chapter 1 on our Berean chapters. Malachi 1, verse 2 and 3 says this. Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and I laid his mountains and his heritage, his lineage, because he didn't care about me, and he didn't care about mine. So I laid his mountain and his heritage a wasteland. And I'm going to devastate it. And it says this. I laid it waste for the dragons of the wilderness. His heritage was laid a waste. And I hated him because he hated me. And he hated everything I stood for. And so he's going to try to take you down. And so I am at war with him. And it was written. Well, why? Because God knew his heart. And he knew how much bitterness was there. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. This is another one of the Brians that explains this about Esau. Hebrews 12, 15 through 17 says, Look carefully at yourselves. Examine your own self. I don't want anyone to fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springs up in you and causes trouble, and by this many can be defiled. Lest there be any, and he's going to now talk about Esau. Let any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sowed his birthright. You know that afterward he wanted to inherit the blessings when it came time for Isaac to die. 
which he had rejected, and he was rejected then because he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Oh, when it came time to reap some rewards, now he was interested. But you know what? Rebecca had already got it to where Jacob went in and dressed up like him, and we're going to talk about it, and he received the blessing. And so he said, I didn't want to be the spiritual leader. I didn't want all of this, but Pop, if you're going to die, I want your stuff. And he's like, I, I thought you was already here, and I already gave the blessing to it, evidently it was Jacob but I thought it was you he felt hairy he, his clothes smelled like you but he, he talked like him he said he, don't you have anything for me and he gave him some little small thing but you know why where was his heart his heart was wrapped up in bitterness the root of bitterness on the things of God so God says you're not going to have the inheritance because the inheritance of mine is through faith, which is through doing what I've told you to do and loving me. That's, it's not just because of who you think you was born as or what it is. No, don't any of us let a root of bitterness get put in here. So now, that was Esau. Esau was so bitter at the things of God. You see, God's family, he, Abraham said, he, he made, we're going to be studying this in two weeks. Abraham made his servant make a pledge to him to go back to his land and get a, a wife for Isaac because I want it to be someone of faith and not someone of the bitterness of these folks so that my son doesn't fall prey to that and he doesn't become bitter in his heart and he loses out on being with God. And so they did that. And so did Isaac then does that again and he tells Jacob to go that way but Esau this one who has the bitterness in his heart and hates the things of God you know what he does he takes four wives two of them are the wives of Ishmael so Ishmael's daughters who was the mockers of God with Sarah that we just studied he takes two of them and two of the Hittites because he said I don't want the people of God I don't want them and he takes them and one of his wives Timnah and him they have a son named Eliphaz. And Eliphaz, well, Eliphaz marries Timnah, and they have Amalek. So Amalek, this one who just attacked the children of God in the wilderness for no reason, is a grandson of Esau who hated the things of God. And this one has a double portion spirit of the hatred and the bitterness of God that his grandfather did. And he saw him out there in the wilderness and he went and attacked them. And you know why God hated them so much and hated the spirit of Amalek? Because what's going on in the world today? We got a notice in there from our missionary, John, over in India today. And you know what they're doing in India? They're saying that churches are not essential. We got Jesus is essential right here. And it said, churches and Jesus is not essential. Anybody over, what it was at 60 Anyone over 65 and under 10, you can't worship God and you can't go. And if you do, your church is going to be pulled from, and we're going to burn it down. You're not going to have a place to worship. And then it says only 20 can be there, but there's been almost 20,000 different places of worship that's being burnt or taken and seized because they're not following their directions. You know why? Because the spirit of Amalek is alive and well in this world and it's coming to America. 
and you'd better get ready. You'd better be a Joshua and get ready to fight against the spirit of Amalek because it's going to come whenever you're down and whenever you're downtrodden and whenever they think you're weak. And right now they think we're weak. And they think that we're not able to defend ourselves and that we got so much going on that we're preoccupied with. And I'm telling you, the spirit of Amalek's coming over here. You want to know what the spirit of Amalek's like? Turn over to Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25 is God's commentary on what just happened in Exodus chapter 17 when Amalek came. All we read about here is Amalek came, met him in the valley of Rephidim, and waged a battle against him. And Jehovah Nissei is our banner because he won the war. But God says, I hate this spirit of Amalek. I'm declaring war on him from generation to generation. You want to know what, why and why it's so severe and what the spirit of Amalek is? You look at Deuteronomy 25. Look at verse 17. As they're getting ready to cross over in the land, God's going to tell them to destroy him. He says this. Remember what Amalek did to you when you came into the land, by the way. When you first came forth out of Egypt in Genesis or in Exodus 17. He says in verse 18. How that Amalek met thee by the way and he smote the hindmost part of thee. The weak, the tail end, all that were feeble and weak. And was at the back end when thou was faint and weary. And he feared not God and his revenge. I want to tell you, what does the scripture say about the devil, our enemy, the spirit of Amalek? He said, he is as a roaring lion seeking what? Who he can devour, who he can come against. Do you ever watch on those documentaries what the lions do when they're hunting? They set up in camouflage in the grass and they're watching. And who are they waiting for? The weak, the newborn. We got to protect our young ones, folks. We got to protect our young ones. The devil and Amalek and his spirit looks after the weak, those who are going through problems. That's why we've got to encourage them and hold their arms up. He's looking for the weak, the feeble. The ones who get left behind that drift back to the tail that don't get any tension or paid to them. They get taken back and our young ones, whenever there's a weak and a feeble at the inmost hind part of the pack, the devil then springs up and grabs the weak ones and tries to devour him. And God said, my enemy took my people when they were weak and feeble. You had, you had spent all I told you to get out of Egypt in a haste. Eat, you be dressed that night whenever my spirit of death passes over them. You be dressed. You be ready. You eat that food quickly and you get gone. And they were marching and they were marching and they were marching. And now they are weak and they're tired. And the very hind part of the weak and the tired and the feeble and the young. He says that's who he attacked. He sat up there on the hill and he waited until the good battles in the front went by. And when he saw the opportunity... This evil spirit of Amalek came and grabbed a hold of my weak people. And God says, I am going to fight for you. I am going to take the battle on from generation to generation. And I am not going to let that happen. You trust in me. And you go and hold your brother up. And you guard the back of the pack. And you don't let any of them fall. Amen. That's why God hates the spirit of Amalek and why he hated Esau because these folks have nothing but bitterness and contempt 
for the things of God and they want to shut you down and destroy you. You better be ready because it's coming to here. And God says that's why he tried to take advantage of my people. So back to our text. I'm going to smile now. How y'all doing? That wasn't me a minute ago. Something took over. Okay. We're back at the battle. Remember what we was talking about, how Moses had to lift up the hands and the rod. The picture of the cross is our banner. If it was a silhouette and that's all you could see, man, you would be seeing the cross. You'd be seeing our banner. That's the banner that's over us now. Because that same Jehovah Nisi went up on our hill a couple thousand years later and he died for us. He says, I am now your banner. And that cross and the empty tomb with the rock pushed aside, those are your banners now for the warfare you're fighting. And he said, what did he say before he left? I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will be there with you through the end until the end of this age when I come to gather you again. That is Jehovah Nisei. And you know how I also know that that's a picture of that? Because the next time that word Nisei is used, that word for banner and Jehovah Nisei is also the serpent. You remember how that in the wilderness, whenever they were all getting bit by the serpents, that they made the brazen serpent and lifted it up on the pole. And it wasn't until thousands of years later that Jesus told John, or in John 3 told Nicodemus, said that just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And when he is, I will draw all men to me. That word for lifting up the serpent on the pole is Nisei. The Lord God, Jesus, said, I am Jehovah Nisei, the one who will be lifted up for you for your victory over Amalek, the one who will be after you from generation to generation. And I am your banner. Now is our, I want you to take all of this with you today. I want this to be, be burned into your memory. This is your thing of faith that you're going to take. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Miss T to tee up a song for you as our worship team gets up and then they're going to, They'll close us out at the end after we pray. But this is a little treat for you. I found this because our, our song, this song is around exactly what we just did. In Psalm 60, uh, it's, it says in verse 4, that thou hast given us a banner to them that fear thee, that it might be displayed because of the truth. And that banner is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this song that I want to have you to listen to, and this guy's this guy's fabulous. I found him out. He does all four parts. When it starts, you'll see it'll say bass, alto, tenor, soprano. He tapes him doing the song one at a time and puts all four pieces together. But this song, the banner of the cross, is Jehovah Nisei. The God who fights for you. If you know the song, let's stand up because we'll just stand up for this. And then as we close, whenever Ray and the, and the, the uh, Rev.
restoration project takes over. But go ahead, Miss T. Let's, let's, let's crank this up. If you know it, sing it. There's a royal banner given for display to soldiers of the king. Crank it up a little. It's an ensign fair. We lift him up today. While as ransomed ones we sing. We're marching on, marching on. For Christ count everything but loss. For our King of Kings will toil and sing beneath the banner of the cross. We're in and see wherever man we dwell in his glorious king known. For the crimson banner give us holy tote, and the Lord will claim his own. We're marching on, marching on. For Christ count everything but loss. For our King of Kings will toil and sing beneath the banner of the cross. The great commander from the vaulted sky sounds the resurrection day. Then before our King the faint and foe shall die. Jehovah Nisei, march away. We're marching on, marching on, for Christ count everything but loss. For the King of kings, toil and sing neath the banner of the cross. Woo! Amen. Amen. For the King of kings, we toil and sing beneath the banner of the cross, Jehovah Nisei. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Whew. Father, what a wonderful story. Jehovah Nisei, I am your God and I'm your banner. Father, thank you for putting this in the word of God that lives and abide forever. Thank you for telling Moses, write it in your book. And then go tell it to Joshua and tell it to all of my warriors as you go through and make it a memorial that I am your God. And I hate the spirit of Amalek. I hate your enemy, the one who's trying to defeat you and to destroy you. Folks, we should hate our enemy and what he's doing to our society and to our loved ones and to everyone. We should hate that spirit. We should battle, help each other, bear one another's burdens, and above all, rest in faith in Jehovah Nisei and his work on the cross. Beneath the banner of the cross, we'll toil and sing. And Father, thank you for this great example in your word so that we can take it with us and always know and remember as a memorial that you are with us and that you love us and that we are your children. And we thank you so much for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.